Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Portfolio manager Mark Schmel is celebrating five years since the launch of Fidelity Innovators Class. Along with the Innovators Class for Canadian Investors, Mark also manages Fidelity Special Situations Fund and Canadian Growth Company Fund. On today's show, Mark talks about the evolution of the Innovators Fund since inception until present day. He comments on the flexibility of the fund. With this flexibility, he's been able to move around other sectors, buy overseas, and participate in private investments. In his fund, he has invested in many sectors ranging from software to healthcare. Besides the Innovators class, Mark also discusses the riskier parts of the market, what opportunities he's seeing around the world, and what challenges lie ahead in 2023. Today's podcast was recorded on October 31st, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Okay, so let's talk about the five-year journey. Congratulations, first of all. Um, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think when you began this, what you were thinking of then. Um, do you want to just take us back a little bit into the inception phase? So it's it's been a journey, that's for sure. Um, when this fund first launched, I mean, we were in the middle of a of a tech boom, I suppose you could say, and uh, it was a very different world, right? Interest rates were low, and we were like changing the world with all these like great tech ideas, and then then suddenly a pandemic hit, um, and the entire world went nuts, um, and that was very difficult to deal with. First, we we you know went straight up as we all went and lived in home at our home and we did zoom and all that stuff. And now we've sort of gone straight down as we've decided that uh, we have too much inflation. We need to stop doing that. So it's been a, a wild five years. I have got to be honest. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it <laughs> in the category. It's been an extraordinary, um, fund. Uh, it's, it's also given you quite a lot of flexibility to deal with exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about too. Yes. Yeah, and, and for me, that the flexibility is the crucial part. That's why we launched this fund originally, was to give me the flexibility to sort of do what I want to do at the maximum extreme. And I, I really think it's it's helped um, through this really terrible period. I, I have so much flexibility, so much liquidity. I can go anywhere and buy anything in any market around the world. And because of that flexibility, it's it's allowed me to sort of navigate these very choppy, terrible markets over the last five years. And uh, I know I love that. It's like my favorite product to run. Okay, so, oh, is it? Oh, say okay, well, so tell us just a little oh, yeah. bit about, you know, you know, give us some insight into what that means, flexibility. So what sort of positioning has it allowed you to, to actually make happen within the fund? So I've, I've been anywhere from like, lots of software stocks to, you know, I recently owned a lot of energy, uh, a lot of healthcare. I can move around in all the different sectors. 
I can buy stuff overseas. I can participate in private investments. I just, I just have a lot of opportunities to find the best parts of the market and, and try and own as much of them as I can, which like, let's say over the last 18 months, there have been no best parts of the market. It's been you either own cash or everything went down. But um, in general, in a normal market where things are sort of chopping around and drifting higher, this is, this, this product is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it will be lights out, but you know, that's not the type of market we're currently in. We're currently in a different sort of capital preservation mode market. So, I mean, let's talk a little, so you've had some energy in there, for instance, over the time where that's made sense. Um, and let's bring us to sort of where we find ourselves at this point. I'm very curious. So are we about done on the, on the central bank, on the upside of things? I mean, give us your view on this so-called discussion around this pivot. What, what do you do with it? What do you think? So, so my view, and I think I articulated this view a few months ago, is that inflation has likely peaked. And I think that the drivers of inflation, you know, energy shortages of chips, um, you know, inability to get stuff from A to B, I think those are all getting better. I think that labor is slowly also getting better as we migrate away from pandemic work from home. And, and there, there were a lot of dislocations and those dislocations are starting to snap back and it takes time. Everything takes time. Like it took us two or three years to get to where we are. It's going to take us two or three years to get out of where we are. And I think that the Fed raising rates makes perfect sense. Um, I think in general, they've gone a little bit too far too quickly. And I think we're going to start to see that in six months. So I, but I don't think the, the market is surprised by that. The market is pricing a recession, right? The market has already said the Fed has gone too far too fast. And guess what? Next year is going to be awful and the, and the economy is going to really slow down. And whether we have a technical recession or it feels like one, I don't know. But the market is saying we're going to have a recession. And I tend to I tend to believe that as well. So I don't know that we're done. I think that the market's expectations are really low. So you and I were just talking about how all the mega cap tech companies reported. They were all awful. They all pretty much blew up with the exception of Apple. Even Apple's was, wasn't great. And the market didn't go down. And so that's what 40 percent of the market cap of the S&P just blew up and the whole market didn't go down. So expectations are poor. Now, does that mean it's time to buy? Probably not. I mean, we still have six to nine months of pretty poor economic numbers, and it's very difficult for stocks to work when earnings are going down, and earnings are going to be going down. But expectations are so beaten up that maybe it doesn't matter. So we're, I, I feel like we're sort of in a trading range, and, and I feel like the balance of risk now is such that you should probably be taking more risk than less. So if you're sitting there and you're looking at your portfolio and you're saying, well, I got I got safety, I got cash here and I got equities and I got bond, whatever. You need to start deploying that safety into risk because I, I don't know when this risk thing bottoms out, but now is the time to add risk to your portfolio. That's what I'm doing in my portfolio. So I'm taking money from what I consider to be safe buckets and putting it into riskier buckets. Now, it doesn't mean you should all go all in and buy like Robinhood, but you should be taking some of that safety capital that you've been like so happy to own some cash and, and start migrating into a little bit more risky parts of the market. That said, it's going to be choppy. Well, and it, it requires some bravery. I mean, the average investor, when they're watching these markets, it, it's, it's really tough to do. So, I mean, I, I guess just sort of a throwaway question, but what is it ultimately about your style that kind of allows you to do that? This is, this is a, an interesting and somewhat scary time for a lot of investors. 
So what lets me do that is, is I'm never afraid to sell. So let's say I, I, I'm doing this plan right now, which is, you know, taking some defense and slowly buying offense. If I'm wrong, I will sell it. And that's what allows me to not lose like tons and tons of money. I say that as I, my funds down like 30% year to date. Um, but, you know, other folks in sort of that high growth, high risk category are down a lot more than 30, down 50, 60. So, you know, stepping off the, the bus as it rolls over is something I'm very good at doing. And so if I'm wrong and, and we do have like the worst recession in like modern memory coming, I can change directions and I do change directions. So I'm not like a one trick pony. So for me, I'm willing to take that risk because I know that if I'm wrong, I can, I, I'll sell it and move on and find something else I want to do. Um, at the moment though, I don't feel like it's, I feel like it's a good time to be buying risk. Maybe not all of it, but I think it's time to start piecing in. There was a, a time, well, actually when we spoke to you in September, I think you said something along the line, paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, you know, this is about to happen. There will be some version of a recession. Um, but at that point, that sort of when we'll have seen the market bounce back up, which everyone sort of knows is, is the way markets respond and how they, they work through um, bad news. Because mm-hmm. you've said there is so much bad news, I mean, I guess this is sort of the question of subtleties. Like, wh- if there's so much in there, how much further down do you think there is to go ultimately? There might not, there might not, be, there might not be any, right? It depends. Um, you can look around the market. Like, you can look at sectors that are doing well. Healthcare's doing well. Biotech's Biotech's doing really well, shockingly. Um, you, there's a lot of puts and takes. The environment's really complex. The nice thing is, at least in my world of growth land, um, my stocks are down, like some of my growth stocks are down 75, 80%, right? So it's not like we're having this discussion and they're at all-time highs. Most of the stuff that I look at is down at least 50, perhaps more. And as a result, expectations are a lot lower. And so if some of these companies can turn things around, so I have, I have this, this current rule. I go through any of these growth companies or tech companies or whatever they were called that are now saying, hey, we're going to start um, cutting costs. I want to look at it because they've pivoted their mindset. And now they're realizing, hey, I, gotta, I have to make some money. I, got, I can't spend the money on like keg parties for my staff anymore. It's time to like, I think those are going to be good stocks because the base businesses are fine. It's just they've been spending too much money. So. I think there's a this period of adjustment, and I think that as we have you seen that yet? Sorry, but have you seen that oh, yet? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of stocks that like Snapchat fired 20% of their staff. Shopify yeah. last week announced you know, they're firing people. Um, you know, other companies are saying, look, we're going to ratchet down travel, T and E, and we're going to do this, and I think they're starting to, to cut costs. And so that's how recessions start, right? Companies start, all start to cut costs at the same time, and I think we have a lot more of that to go, but. In growth land, we're so far ahead of the rest of the economy. Like growth stocks move well ahead of everybody else. Like growth stocks live like four years in the future and they'll turn first. Like they always turn first. And so they're starting to say, look, you know, we're getting to the point where valuations are are really cheap on like 2025 and we're cutting costs and the base business is fine. It's slowing. so you can make a really good case for some of these these really beaten up names. And I, I have a long list of old, loved, but now hated stocks that are cutting costs. And I, I think it's a pretty good place to hunt. Fascinating. So many questions rolling in. Not a surprise there at all. Let's uh, 
dig into some of them. So one of them is, Mark, are you finding opportunities globally or is it really centered on the U.S. or do you actually find some of these global dislocations is um, being discussed here that are that are opportunities to you? So it is interesting. Lots of parts of the world look really awful at the moment. And I would say, I heard this phrase the other day, it was like Fortress North America. Um, there's some truth to that. So if you think about the regions in the world that have the most going for them, it really is North America. We we are long energy. We have the cheapest energy in the world. We're long flexibility. We're long political, well, relative political stability. Um, you know, we're long ingenuity and technology. And the rest of the world is struggling, right? Europe, Europe doesn't have any energy. Um, you know, China is doing Chinese things. Um, so it, for, for me, like the best place to hunt right now is really still in North America. And I'm closest to it, obviously. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not interested in looking at European or, you know, Asian stocks, but those markets, they're just, they're in trouble and they're, they're going to stay compromised for long periods of time. Like if you're in Germany, you don't have any energy to do all the stuff you need to do. You need to solve that problem. They will solve the problem. Of course they'll solve the problem. It's good, but it's going to take two, three, four years. So it just feels as though you're better off where we are. Okay. Great. A um, couple other questions. So there's, there's a number of likes on this question. Like, to what extent are you holding cash? To what extent um, are you fully deployed? Uh, some some insight there. I'm always fully deployed. I never have cash. So anyone who's watched me for 15 years, I'm always fully in the market. Okay. So if the market if the market bounces, I will bounce. And if it goes down, well, I'll probably go down. Um, on the tech side of things, so this is sort of a follow-up to what you were talking about. Um, what, yeah, what do you think of valuations? Well, I think you spoke about what's down at least fifty, and what's down even further. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add there. Maybe that's you've said it I think all. In different different parts of the market valuations are different, but I think valuations are not extreme. Um, they're not cheap, and I think that I think that what folks are missing is the last two recessions that we've had have been a down 50%, like nightmare bear market, financial crisis, or it was like the tech bubble blew up. This is not either of those. There's no tech bubble. Like Apple has bought back $550 billion worth of stock. Like this is a real, these are real companies and they have tons of cash and great balance sheets and they're doing fine. It's not like Webman and there's no financial crisis. So I think a lot of people think that the valuation has to get back to where it got to in those two previous cycles that we've all experienced, you know, like rock bottom, like rollover and die valuation. I think everybody's going to miss it because we're not going to get there because it's just not as bad. Like it's just not as bad. Um, so, so I think valuations are fine. I think, I think you can totally step in now knowing it's going to be bumpy and you know, there's probably still more downside as we get really horrific earnings over the next three quarters. But honestly, the balance of risk versus reward here seems pretty compelling. Fantastic. Coming back to sort of um, the earnings picture, you mentioned, obviously, it's, it was a pretty rough quarter. What sort of, mm. I mean, is it just the obvious vibe? I was going to ask you what sort of vibe you're getting from management. Is, is it just what they're saying and, and that's bad? Or is there anything else? No, things are slowing down, like, like across the board. Everything is slowing down, like clouds slowing down, transports are slowing down. There's too much inventory everywhere. Everybody over ordered like the most common things I've been hearing are my lead times used to be, it used to take a year to get this sofa in. 
and my lead times went from 52 weeks to zero in one month, right? Like, so orders have collapsed because everyone's got too much stuff. So, so you've got an inventory correction ahead of us, which is going to be awful for earnings. And you have a slowing top line because the Fed's tightening, tightening like crazy, hence the recession. But I think a lot of this can get worked through. I don't think there's a structural problem here. I think this is a normal economic recession that we're going to experience next year. And we should be looking not at 2023 earnings. We should be looking at 2024. So 2024, we're going to be coming out of a recession. We're going to be in a normal, non-pandemic environment. Hopefully, various worldwide conflicts are starting to go down again, which would be nice. Who knows if that happens? But, you know, that's what we should be looking at. So I don't think anyone should be pricing stocks at 2023. We should all be looking at 2024 and going, what does normal look like? That's normal. And away you go. So when you see um, the so-called data that the data dependency is all based on, um, how do you look at economic weakness? I mean, is that actually a good time to buy? That's good. That's yeah, good news. yeah. So if we got to the point where unemployment was was ramping and you know every company was out there you know reducing staff, that's when the market's a buy, right? When when there's a lot of I call them red Bloomberg headlines. You know, coming across and it's all bad. It's all bad. It's all that's when you want to step in and buy. So, like last week was a good example. It was all bad. Stocks were blowing up. Earnings were terrible. We're going to get two or three more quarters like that. It's going to be horrific. I mean, the inventory breakdowns are going to be awful. So, there's going to be some tape bombs. And so the idea well, for me, my job as a fully deployed equity manager, is to avoid fewer tape bombs than everybody else as we navigate. Like, I'm going to be like from the Matrix dodging bullets, right? Like this. And um, your gorilla costume. Yeah, yeah like my gorilla. Costume. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, don't hit me, don't hit me. So I'm going to try and navigate through that. And while I'm navigating through that, I'm going to be picking up little rocks here, there, and everywhere that I like this one, I like this one, I like this one, putting them in the boat. And you know, some of those are going to be triples and doubles and five baggers, right? And then occasionally I'm going to have a take bomb, and that's going to be down forty percent. So that's what that's what I'm doing. I am. I, I like to tell people this is where I earn my money. These markets, because they're so hard, they're so vicious. They like just tax your soul. Bull markets are easy. You just like buy the stuff you like and let it go up. Um, this is where I earn my money. So I'm earn, even though I'm not getting paid because my numbers are terrible at the moment. This is where I earn my money, so that you know, two or three years from now, everyone goes, "Mark, you're a genius." Well, hopefully they say that. Right, um, back to, okay, so the, you mentioned the supply chain and you're, you're talking a lot about inventories there. This question is specifically about supply chain issues and, and really the semiconductor story. It has a lot of geopolitical tensions in it uh, all over the world, actually, it seems. But what do you think of the semiconductor space, basically? Well, first of all, semiconductor problem is going away because we have lots of inventory of everything. So you can see that because the semis keep missing and inventories are normalizing. We'll all be able to get a car soon. Um, it is a big geopolitical football, no question. And, uh, you know, when you talk to the experts in the field, they've said there's no way to replace TSMC in Taiwan. Like, there's just no way. They are, like, so far ahead. They have the best fat. Like, there's, there's no way to deal with that. So if, if there's a war in Taiwan, we will have a problem, no question. Um, it's solvable, though. And I think that... Who people I've talked to said it would take about two years to fix the problem. So you would probably go through another semi-cycle where you don't have enough stuff and there's problems getting cars and computers and things. But it's solvable. It's like capital and expertise and and you know TSMC is currently looking at, at building new a new fab in Arizona. So like 
everyone's sort of aware of the problem, not that it wouldn't be a huge issue, but you right. can't invest on the basis of, you know, China's going to invade Taiwan. I mean, right. like everything will go down and it'll be awful. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Hide under a rock? So, you know, I, you can't even, you can think about it and you can think about what you could do in that scenario, which is nothing, um, or you just move on. Yeah. Okay. Great. And this question um, goes back to I don't think we talked to you about this in a while. That investing private equity, looking at pri looking at the private markets ultimately, mm -hmm. um, they also corrected severely. Um, what do you see there? Is there are there opportunities at this point? There are. It haven't hasn't corrected enough yet. There's still a lot of founders from Atherton flying around and like living the you know great life. Um, we need more pain in the private world and it's coming. Um, we're seeing a lot more, the private guys call them down rounds, but they're not, they're flat rounds, right? Like wherever they did the last round, like for them it's down because it didn't go up like a hundred percent. I want to see actual down rounds in some of these like wonderful tech companies. We're getting there, we're getting there. And I think over the next six to nine months, because of the delays that occur, when the economy is going to be awful and the markets are not going to be great, we're going to get more down rounds. So we, we, I'm actually having coffee tomorrow with this new slick private um, who's trying to raise capital. And so we're, we're active. Um, we've got six people chasing privates right now, and we're, we're very active in the private world looking for opportunities. And I think it's a great time to hunt. And I think next year is going to be an even better time to hunt. Yeah. Is there, is there sort of a level of excitement, actually, about either next year, maybe now, too? I don't know. And now is now is a great time to be buying some of these things or doing funding rounds if you can get the right companies. And um, it's like I said, I think the next six to nine months are going to be a really good time to be doing private, deploying private capital. Is that also speak to the flexibility of of what you could do with this fund, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also it's nice because I'm here in San Francisco and this is where all, a lot of that funding is going on. And like they're you can just, have coffee they all live with around me while I'm like. I'm having coffee tomorrow, a block from my house. And, you know, we're going to discuss his company. It's great. And so it's the last two years has been really bad for that. But, you know, in the, in the next, next five years, we're, this is still the place where lots of companies are founded. And being here is going to be a huge advantage. Just hasn't been over the last 18 months. A couple of questions coming in to ask you to touch on, again, oil and gas. It's, it's place in mm -hmm. your portfolio going forward. It is sort of, you said, the defensive side. Um, yeah, what's its use going forward next year or so? So, so uh, oil and well, energy in general saved my portfolio this year. Energy, I think, was a trade for me, and you know, I it's it's not a core position. Uh, I sort of believe in greenflation long term, but I think there are better opportunities out there right now than energy. Um, there's certainly a lot more beaten down growth stocks and and. Uh, I, energy's had the best relative move in its like history. It's what it's. I'm just looking at it now. Up 50. It's up 60 percent, and the Nasdaq is down 30. So yeah, it's like 100 percent relative ever. move it, ever. Right. Like, I don't think it's going to replicate that. And I think energy's peaked. And I think energy stocks are actually pretty good stocks. I think they're going to have really good earnings and cash flow. And I don't think I'm going to have a huge energy bet going forward from here. I just don't. It's not thematically. It's not what I'm most interested in at the moment, at least in this portfolio. My Canadian portfolios are different, but in this portfolio, energy is not going to be as big a bet. Is, um, there's a question here about commodities and gold. I don't know if, if, if you expand your view ultimately to the commodities area, but 
What do you think? It's uh, it, again. I think I think that commodities have peaked with oil, and there are always economic trades, and I, I just don't see them working really well in an economic recession. Um, that said, you know there are shortages everywhere for a lot of things, and you know you. you you can make them. You can make the argument that there are battery metals like nickel and copper, and I think that, and I do. I'm paying attention to those long term because I do think there's going to be shortages of those, maybe two to three years from now. Um, so I'm always keeping an eye out. And, and the nice thing about global innovators is, I, I will go there, <laughs> like I will buy anything. And if you can make a compelling investment case, and I think the stock is undervalued, I'll buy it. I don't care. I don't care what sector it's in. What do you hear the most from company CEOs right now? Um, confusion. They're confused. They're like, we know that bad things are coming, but we haven't quite seen it yet. So I'd say about 30% of companies are now seeing weakness and the other 70% are like, what are you guys talking about? And so we're in that recognition phase where they haven't seen it, but they, they kind of know it's coming, but they haven't really seen it or they're just starting to see it, which is why these things take so long. Like, so we, we probably have 12 months of like grind through Inventory correction, slowing top line, and how how badly did the Fed kill the economy? But we know all that stuff. Like the market knows this stuff, so we're just waiting. Everyone's just basically sitting at the bus stop, waiting for the bus to come by. And you know, maybe the bus breaks down and it takes nine months. I don't know, but we're we're just we're just waiting. Like Forrest Gump. Um, yeah. Tell us about um, in terms of Fed speak, because this is Fed Week. Uh, there's a lot of it. Is there too much or, or has it sort of done its job? I don't know. Some people get so sick of it. So there's too much. But what do you think? We all get sick of it. I, I like more communication rather than less. I'd rather get more opinions and see more information than I can make a decision. And I think the market likes it, too. Um, the market doesn't like to be surprised. Surprises are bad. The market likes to discount ahead of time. So it is confusing to have like 12 different people speaking and they all have different opinions. Um, I don't mind the Fed speak. Anything else you want to share with investors looking back five years, looking forward five years? So I would say I, I can't imagine having another five years, like the most recent five years in terms of like the absolute volatility, I, like a hundred year pandemic and the crazy stimulus and now the crazy reverse stimulus. And this is nuts. This is not a, this is not a normal market. Well, there's a war. Um, this is crazy. So I can't imagine it would get any worse than this. Uh, and the, you know what? The fund's done okay through this period of like absolute carnage. And that's the, that's the job. And so I'm going to keep, keep grinding and eventually things will get better. It's just a question. As I said, it, it's patience. We're required patience. We need to get through this recession. I think that the balance of risk on versus risk off is more towards risk on, but it's not like pedal to the metal. Like, Maybe a year from now we'll do this, and I'll say you need to buy everything. And you know, you know, I don't. We're not there yet. We're we're still waiting at the bus stop, waiting for the bus to show up to tell us that you know we can get on and go to our favorite restaurant because it's it's just it's just not it's not there yet. But we know the bus is coming, so that's the thing. Like, it's a tricky it's a tricky period. It's definitely a tricky period. Patience is what we need. We just need patience. It's great to speak with you and to catch up with you. Happy anniversary on your fun. Mark Schmell, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. 
Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.